0: Where do you typically hear the word covenant? Yeah, I see some of you mouthing the word in a marriage ceremony. And that is, that is true. We hear it at weddings. And it, it's appropriately used. Now, not just any wedding, though, I would say. Uh, you go to lots of weddings, you probably won't hear much about covenant. But you hear the word covenant expressed when you hear two people who are being joined together in, in marriage as Christians. So to get an understanding of this word covenant, which we're going to talk about this morning, I'd like to start off by looking at 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10, uh, I'm sorry, First Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. So, this text shares a relationship, a covenant between Hiram, king of Tyre, and Solomon, king of Israel. The text tells us, so Hiram gave Solomon as much as he desired of the cedar and cypress timber. Solomon then gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of beaten oil. Thus Solomon would give Hiram year by year. The Lord gave wisdom to Solomon just as he promised him and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon and the two of them made a covenant. They made a covenant. They made a what we would call an agreement. In some sorts, senses of the word, they had what we might call a contract, but it was more than just a financial business contract. There were results of this. Um, we see that one side had what the other wanted. We see a, a cooperative working together for a particular end. And this word covenant comes from a Hebrew word, berith, or the Greek word, diatheke, which simply means that you enter a formal agreement. You have this relational partnership to accomplish a goal. Now, what goal did Hiram and Solomon accomplish? Well... One had resources, the other needed, and vice versa. So there was that end, but that all of the text also tells us that another conclusion or result is that they had peace between them. We talked about the word covenant being used in marriage, and we see that in the Bible. We see it in uh, Malachi chapter 2, where he says... Uh, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth um, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. We see where men were putting their wives away, not treating their wives with the respect that they should have as their wife. And we see the same thing happening in Proverbs chapter 2, where the woman leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Now, marriage is about two individuals, each who bring unique things that the other cannot bring. And together, together, this relationship this partnership can accomplish unrealized things that they could not accomplish as individuals. It and, and this text also reminds us that it's not just a covenant between two people, but it's also a covenant before God. In other words, it's a covenant with God as well. So generally speaking, covenant uh, is not simply a religious word. However, when you think of Christianity, you ought to think covenant because everything that God does is based on covenant. Uh, Phil didn't actually use this language in his talk this morning talking about Adam and Eve but and, and nor does the Bible actually use the word covenant. But I think that's what we see going on between God and his creation. You see this uh, agreement, this partnership that is in place. Everything God does is based upon covenant. Whether it was Adam and Eve in the garden or his relationship with the nation of Israel, it was based on covenant. In fact, in the Bible, do you know who makes the first covenant in the Bible? God does. Uh, Do you know who makes the second covenant in the Bible? Yeah, that's right. God does. In fact, the most repeated covenant maker in the Bible is God. Now, this matters to our faith because covenant is one of the ways that the whole Bible ties together. So covenant, in other words, drives the story of the Bible. And perhaps there are uh, four major covenants that are made in the Old Testament. Uh, we see in Genesis 9 the covenant that God makes with Noah. And it's represented as we saw in the first slide that, that the rainbow was put in the sky to serve as a sign of the covenant that God would not destroy the earth again with water. We see God making a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, again in chapter 15, repeating it again in chapter 17. We see God then making a covenant with the nation of Israel, uh, repeated multiple times, but specifically, first of all, perhaps there on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. And then later we see a Davidic covenant being made. A covenant God makes with David in 2 Samuel 7, also repeated in 1 Chronicles 17. The reality is God wants to share his existence with others and to partner with us to share his holiness with the world. That was the vision he had in putting Adam and Eve in the garden that, that mankind would rule with god and that there would be this this beauty upon the earth where god dwelt with man man dwelt with god and this would be pervasive uh, uh, um, across humankind and god wants to share that generously he wants to partner with us to share his image his existence And to do that then with others so that the world might become something that it wouldn't by itself. Two parties in a formal relational partnership. Genuinely contributing to a goal together. But it's interesting that the Bible reveals how we keep failing as covenant partners. And yet God continues To be faithful. He stays committed and keeps working toward this great purpose that he had in mind. And the culmination of this is God becoming the one faithful human covenant partner that we were all made to be, but failed to be. And he did that in the person of Jesus. Jesus is opening to humanity the opportunity to be transformed into faithful partners with God. So the whole plot line of the Bible is that God is faithful and we keep breaking this covenant relationship. Now what I want to do pretty much the rest of the lesson is to focus on how this plays out in Genesis chapter 15. So if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles there. Genesis chapter 15. I also have the text on the screen. But let's read. Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, "'O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus?' And Abram said, "'Since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir.' Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, "'This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir.'" And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now he says, he begins that by saying, After these things. So what is it that has happened up to this point? Well, remember, Lot got kidnapped. And so Abram pursues his nephew Lot and ends up getting himself in the middle of this uh, great war that's happening between these city leaders who call themselves kings. And Abram takes 318 men and by night he, he frees his nephew. He is victorious in battle. He takes their spoils, their women and their people. And now you hear God telling him, don't be afraid, Abram. Don't be afraid. But then Abram asked God about this promise that he and his wife had received from God a number of years ago, back in Genesis chapter 12, where he promised that he would make him a great nation. They are still without children, and they see their inheritance going to their servant, to their slave, Eleazar. He's the only one that they have. So what does God do? God takes him outside and says, look up. Now this is, a, uh, this is a picture taken from the Hubble telescope. And this would be perhaps what Abram would have seen when God took him and said, look up. Can you, can you count that? God tells this old man that the promise he previously made is still good. And what is Abram's response? Well, the text tells us that Abram believes. And God says that he is in right standing. He is in right relationship with God based upon what? Based upon his trust. Abraham believes in Yahweh. And he he reckons it as righteousness. He he counts it or credits it to him as righteousness. Having this right standing or relationship with God. God wants our trust. He wants our deep convictions in God's faithfulness in the relationship. So, we read on in this account in Genesis chapter 15... And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, Oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he's not only promised him an heir and a, a, a family that's so large that it couldn't be counted, he's also promising him a land and, and, and Abram wants proof. He says, how, how can I know that I'm going to possess it? So, what does God say? God says, Bring me a three year old heifer, and a three year old female goat, and a three year old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him, and cut them in two, and laid them each, laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now, uh, this may, this may make no sense to us, uh, Westerners living in the 21st century. But I, I have confidence that that Abram knew what he was doing here. There was an, an understanding of what was taking place. In fact, what is happening here is God and Abram are about to enter into a covenant. A covenant agreement, and these animals are a symbol of this covenant. And what is essentially being said here is that may my fate be the same as these animals if I fail to fulfill my covenant. Now, you may say, well, how in the world would they know that? How, how do you know they understood these things? Well, it's interesting that in, in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, God is holding people accountable to a covenant that they had made in releasing their slaves, which they then went back on. And notice how he describes it. He says, I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts, the officials of Judah and the officials of Jerusalem, the court officers and the priests and all the people of the land, who passed between the parts of the calf, I will give them in the hands of their enemies, he says. So when they understood that when they were making a covenant, it was, it was this binding agreement that had intense consequences. And it was represented by these animals being cut in two and, and laid side by side. And what you would have is you would have the blood then pouring into the middle uh, between the animals. So we read on in Genesis chapter 15. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, now remember, Abram has is now asleep Uh, in a sleep. Not that he's fallen into because he's just tired. God puts him into that. It's God's purpose to do so. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the the river Euphrates. Now, Abram wanted to know, how is it, God? How can I know that you're going to give me that land? God makes a covenant with Abram. He initiates this covenant relationship, but not just with Abram, but with the people who will come from Abram, with a people. And and this covenant is going to fail on the part of the people. And so God goes into this covenant agreement Alone, Who is going to take on the consequences of Abraham's descendants' failure to be faithful to the covenant? Who is walking through the animals? It is God appearing as a smoking oven and a flaming torch who passed between these pieces. Why didn't he have Abram? Passed through the pieces of the of the of these animals because he knew that Abram was going to be unfaithful, and for him then to to bear that burden was going to be his demise. So God did not ask him to do so. This speaks volumes to the character of God, His mercy, His grace, His kindness, His love, and His justice. God is the one who walks through the animal blood alone saying, I will be faithful, but I will take on the consequences when this covenant fails. Stop and think about that. Now, we fast forward to the New Testament. And Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of God. And he's been calling Israel to a new, higher degree of covenant faithfulness. And then we see Jesus in Luke chapter 22. Where he illustrates not God's covenant with Abram, but God's covenant with us. Luke 22, beginning in verse 14. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some of the bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. We should see that Jesus, with these supper emblems, is establishing a new covenant. And he is creating a symbol of the consequences of our failure, our evil, our injustice, similar to the cutting of the animals and the blood in Genesis 15. You've got the bread... Which is broken. You've got the blood of the grapes. Which is reflective of the blood of the animals being made uh, uh, as a part of this covenant sacrifice. in this covenant making process in Genesis 15. Jesus viewed his sacrifice in the same way that God viewed his covenant with Abram. Jesus' new covenant is one where he takes on the consequences of the failure of humanity. My sins. Your sins. Jesus, who is also known by another name, Emmanuel, God with us, is the embodiment of God coming to save us from our failures because of his Loving faithfulness. He is the faithful human who submits to the will of his father and he offers his life, his loving gift to his unfaithful creation. Jesus is the epitome of faithfulness to a covenant agreement, a covenant promise. And so what is my response? To this. Well, Jesus' example should move me to faithfulness, trusting Him and submitting to Him as Jesus did. Jesus' example should move me toward a right relationship, a right standing with God by loving Him and loving others. You know, it was on Wednesday night that Ryan read for us from Isaiah 55. And it was in Isaiah 55 that Ryan read verses 1 through 3, which say, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David.